0: one. Let's see if I can get plugged in here. Remember the protocol here. Oh, come on. Okay. All right. Hebrews chapter 7 is where we uh, will be. We're going to jump right in there quickly this morning. Um, by now, I'm not even going to ask you, but everybody should remember the three big P's as far as a kind of a skeleton of the book of Hebrews. We're in that middle one, the priesthood of the Lord Jesus. If you remember, the the subject was kind of breached right at the end of chapter four and then chapter five. We had a little bit there, which basically was just kind of, uh, I think you could word it this way. Just kind of basically laying out a few things. All right. Well, this is kind of what a priest is, and the Lord Jesus meets these. So it kind of touches the area that he certainly has the the criteria for being a priest. All right. And then the uh, several times we saw the phrase he was a, that the Lord Jesus is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. All right. And then now in chapter 1, that particular idea is going to be uh, talked about quite a bit. All right, it's, it's uh, delved into here. And really then, when we're talking about the superiority of the priesthood of the Lord Jesus, um, this deals with what I've called for, again, for sake of alliteration, they're all S's, but the source of his priesthood. In other words, because the idea, he's a priest, after the order of Melchizedek, so in other words, a line. Um, the Old Testament priests were, of course, priests after what line? Aaron, all right? He was the first Jewish priest, all right, that, that we know of, in the, that was introduced in the Bible. And, and think about this, was he, uh, was he a priest just because Moses thought he should be, just because Aaron wanted to be? because he was Moses' brother, so he deserved to be. I mean, whatever, you know, no. God specifically said that Aaron would be his high priest and then his sons, right, would replace him as death occurred and so on. And we even have, we don't have the historical, if you want to say, incidents of every one of those, although we do have a lineage of the priests that were kept scripturally, uh, in, in several different accounts. And uh, that was very important because for someone to qualify to be the high priest, he had to prove, if you want to say, he had to definitely be a direct descendant of Aaron and of the right family there. And it's interesting because as more sons are born and generations, then obviously that idea of priests got a lot broader, but still there was only one line that was supposed to be the high priest, okay? So, again, this is, this is significant when you start thinking about the idea that's introduced here in Hebrews chapter 7, okay? Um, and by the, well, in the first century at the time that Hebrews was written, uh, again, I believe it was before A.D. 70 because the, the book of Hebrews talks about the things in the, the law and the Jewish priesthood and the, the temple and so on as if it was still ongoing, all right? Not you know, not that it was something in the past, but it was something present. And so, again, that, that uh, the Romans destroyed. It's a historical fact. The Romans destroyed the temple, ended that priesthood, because, by the way, as far as I understand, even from reading uh, Jewish things and so on, uh, the, the lineage of the priesthood was lost in the destruction of the temple. They have no idea who the priests are today or if if there is such a thing that they can count as descendants of, of uh, Aaron, uh, that was lost during the the Roman destruction of the temple in AD seventy, and so um, uh, that's that's kind of important when we uh, particularly now looking back on what Hebrews is addressing here, right? Because there is a priest who has a definite uh, pedigree, if you want to say. Uh, that is a God-ordained priest. And again, this is, uh, this is really what this chapter is about. Because think about this, if, if the, the one who's, who's, the book of Hebrews is about this priesthood, if he's not really of the right line, personage, and so on, then it really doesn't matter. He doesn't qualify, all right? Uh, but he does, and, and that's what Hebrews chapter 7 is about. So the source of his priesthood. What I want to do is read. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin reading. I'm, I'm going to just read several verses here to begin with. I'll have you all be reading here shortly. We're going to have some, some scriptures we're going to go to, okay? Um, in fact, just to give you a heads up, um, two passages from the Old Testament to go ahead and turn to and just kind of be ready there. Keep your place in Hebrews 7, but Genesis chapter 14 and then Psalm 110. Uh, in both of those, those passages, I'll, I'll ask you all to read the, the verses consecutively there. But uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20 says, Whither the forerunner, now this is concluding the, that parenthetical section, the warning passage. Uh, that began in chapter five, went into chapter six. But whether the forerunners is, enter, <clears throat> is entered for us uh, is for us entered. Excuse me, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now that statement made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That occurs a number of times. Here in the book of Hebrews. We've already seen it several times. All right, Now chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. All right, let's go ahead and pray. <clears throat> father, this morning as we uh, get into this passage of Scripture, this uh, this, uh Subject that's that's introduced here, which is kind of as even the reader, uh, the writer of Hebrews himself said that this is uh, something that's hard to be uttered. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning as we look at this, and uh, that uh, again, whether or not uh, everybody comes to the final agreement as to some of the fine points of this, but uh, Lord, that we'd understand the main point, and that is that the Lord Jesus Christ is surely. a a scriptural, he is your priest, um, and there's no doubt about his qualifications. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us this morning uh, to understand what you have to say about this matter, and please uh, help us to love you as we ought and hold your Son dear in our hearts. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and for his sake we pray, amen. All right. We're in Hebrews chapter 7, Hebrews chapter 7, I did ask you all, and I'm going to have you read there again momentarily, but if you can have, have a place marked in Genesis 14 as well as Psalm 110, we'll get to those passages here just shortly. Um, we're talking about the source, the source of the Lord Jesus' priesthood. And uh, the order of his priesthood, the line, all right, how he became a priest, you could say, all right. Christ's priesthood is presented here in the book of Hebrews as being superior, uh, because first of all, and again, this is where it begins. The in the argument of this, where the writer begins, is because of its source. His priesthood is said numerous times here to be after the order of Melchizedek rather than after the order of Aaron or the Levitical priests, all right, who, of course, were appointed by the Lord in Exodus and then uh, spoken of much more detail throughout the book of Leviticus, but uh, a lot of references uh, in the Old Testament to that. But the phrase after the order of is, is something I think that it is worthy to, to consider here and just see what it's talking about. All right, that phrase appears in our, in our English Bible, our King James Bible, seven times. Um, and it, it's uh once in the Old Testament, and that's in Psalm 110, which we'll get there again momentarily. You'll see the phrase there after the manner or after the order of Melchizedek, and there the, the word translated order it's the idea of the manner of so in other words after the fashion of the manner of Uh, it's not necessarily in that instance restricted to like a father son like a descendant type thing but it's after the manner of all right in hebrews then uh that's the only other place where this phrase occurs it's in hebrews 5 6 and 10 hebrews 6 20. It's in Hebrews seven eleven. actually, the phrase occurs twice in that verse, in verse 17, verse 21 again, and there, uh, the phrase in every one of those instances is word for word exactly the same, and it's, uh, it's the, the word there is a word that means an arrangement of things in sequence uh, as in the idea of a succession of things, from one thing to the next to the next, like that but it could also mean just simply an ordered arrangement or a proper procedure of things. Uh, It can mean an assigned station or ranks. In other words, somebody's been assigned a post, a position, and so on. Uh, It can mean an arrangement in which something or someone functions. So an arrangement, a manner. Again, there's a variety there, but the idea is it, it doesn't necessarily have to mean like it's, you know, from, from one descendant to the next and the next. However, it certainly can mean that, and at times it's obviously implied that. All right, so let's consider this. First of all, in this matter of Christ being a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, the first three verses of chapter 7 um, in Hebrews give us really the first point, I think, that's being made here, and that is... When I, just in, in the way that the slide is, because of size of the slide and all that, for just sake of trying to keep it on one slide here, um, it says, I, I have it worded this way, this priesthood, what I mean by that is the priesthood that's after the order of Melchizedek, right? So just keep that in mind for every time there. So the priesthood that's after the order of Melchizedek, or you could also say Christ priesthood, which is after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is an unchangeable. It's a continual priesthood. All right. Again, I read the verses, but but um, in fact, let me let me uh, point this out here. Right. It, it, as when you read the verses, all right, it says for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. All right. And and really. The idea of verse 2, then you could, you could think there's a parenthesis here to whom also, and then the, the idea picks back up on the very last statement in verse 3, abideth a priest continually. So let me read it that way, and then we'll go back and talk about the, the part in between there in just a moment as well. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, abideth a priest continually, all right? So the point of these verses is not stating that Christ abides a priest continually. He does. Okay. But the point of these verses is that Melchizedek continues to be a priest. That's the idea. All right. Now, when you think of it that way, that kind of puts a little bit different twist on what you might first think of here in this. All right. So But remember, the whole point of the chapter together is that Christ's priesthood is superior because it's like Melchizedek's priesthood, okay? That's that's the main point. It's superior because of that. It's like Melchizedek's priesthood. So now we're talking about some of the things of Melchizedek's priesthood, why it's superior to the Levitical priesthood or Aaron's priesthood, all right? First of all, because this priesthood, Melchizedek's priesthood, which Christ is a a high priest after the order of, his priesthood is a continual priesthood. It clearly says that in these verses. And you could think of it in the sense of an unchanged. It wasn't interrupted. It's never stopped is the idea. All right? Now, some might ask, well, why did God insert Aaron as a priest? Well... Point being is, there was, his priesthood is different than Melchizedek's, and it was there for a reason, all right? He served the tabernacle. It was part of, in fact, as we get farther into chapter 7, you'll see that the whole idea of the Levitical priesthood is tied to the law and the service of the tabernacle, all right? And so we'll, we'll get more into that, all right? But first of all, the first point that he's stating, and this if you start thinking about this, this makes a difference. All right, is that Melchizedek's priesthood is a continual priesthood. It's unchanged. It never stopped, is the idea. All right. So keep that in mind. Now, as we, as we go down through this farther, number one, again, Melchizedek has a continual and unchanged priesthood. So we ask the question, and, and I think this begs to be asked right now, who in the world is this one? Who in the world is this Melchizedek? All right. And that's not there's not. a. Let me just say there's not a very easy, straightforward, simple answer to that. OK, really. Uh, I mean, in one way, I think there's a simple answer. But in another way, there's really not because there's there's a lot of things that kind of fit into this. But I'm going to we'll try to keep it as simple as we can. But who is this one? And really, verses one and two are key in helping to understand this. All right. For this Melchizedek. Now, notice how he's described. He's king of Salem and priest of the Most High God. That's the first two descriptions given of him. King of Salem and priest of the Most High God. Now, what do we know about Melchizedek? Well, I'm going to have you read in Genesis 14 here in just a a minute, all right? But Notice how he's described, the the insertion here, right? Who met met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, all right? So all of the references in the Bible, all of them, okay, to Melchizedek are found in the three passages that we're going to read, all right? Genesis 14, Psalm 110, and the book of Hebrews, and there's more in the book of Hebrews than The other two put together, okay? But that's the only places in all the Bible where Melchizedek is ever mentioned or talked about. That is part of the reason why it's a tricky subject for some because there's not a lot said about him in the Bible, okay? And so uh, people can have, actually a lot of people have more questions than they have answers about him, all right? but, But there's a reason why the writer of Hebrews brings him up here, okay? Uh, but this Melchizedek, right, so he's, he's, he's now, now think about this as well. He's described with two things. Now he's called king of Salem. He's also called down later in verse uh, 2 king of righteousness. He's also described as a priest. Now I want you to just think about this for a second. Keep this in mind. Is there anyone else in all of the Bible that is described as being both... King and priest. Don't answer it out loud or whatever, but just keep that in your mind because this is—I think this is important to start thinking about this. All right, king and priest. There's, there's, and I guess I'll just say it. There's only one that I know of that is actually described that way as both king and priest. Okay, we'll get to that later. All right, so he's he's described here as king priest. And then in the historical incident that we have of him, the one incident in history that we have of him is found in Genesis 14. So if you all would go ahead and, and uh, turn there, I'm going to have, have you all read. I forget what verses is the one I think beginning at verse 14, but let me check. Actually, verse 17. If, if uh, I'll ask Pastor Brink to start in verse 17 and then read down through the end of the chapter. So down through verse 24. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Shadolamah and of the kings that were with him in, at the valley of Sheba, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him, and said, Blessed be Abram of the, uh, blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons, and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord, the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. And I will not take from a thread even to a shoelace. And I will not take anything that is mine. Lest thou, thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich.
1: Save only that which
0: the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me in memory let them take their portion all right we're going to read another portion of scripture so whoever didn't get to read can read and that one as well but is everybody familiar with the historical setting here what's taken place this is uh, Abram he's still he's still referred to as Abram not Abraham here but I might say Abraham but you understand who I mean all right later his name was changed to the longer version but um, Abram gets word that this is after Lot, remember Abraham's nephew Lot, right? They had separated because they were trying to kind of live together as far as in the same, you know, campment, if you want to say, but they had way too much herds and stuff and there just wasn't enough room for, for everybody and everything, not enough water, all this. So Abraham said, hey, Lot, you pick which way you want to go and I'll go the other way. All right? And everybody's familiar, Lot picked the plains of Jordan because they were well watered. The only problem there, there were some wicked cities down there as well. And he ended up in Sodom. Everybody's aware of that, remembers that, right? So what happens is at some point in time, there's a confederacy of four kings that come and they uh, basically ransack five cities. So five kings, one of them being Sodom where Lot lived and they took everybody captive and went on their way all right and abraham hears about that and realizes lot and his family were taken captive so abraham says you know what i got to help them and abraham it says he armed he got i mean he he you know he rallied and armed every all the guys that worked for him which apparently were 318 Now think about this, 318 men with Abraham, and Abraham's not a young guy at this point either, all right? And he has a few neighbors that them and probably their servants and so on engage in this endeavor of helping Abraham to go and do battle, basically, with four kings who just beat five kings, all right? And... Abraham basically kicks their tails, all right, and recovers everything. That's the gist of it, all right, and that's a, in a nutshell. And, uh, but uh, in, all, in, in, in all of that then, they recovered everything. It says nobody, was you know, not a soul was lost, all right, and recovered all the, the people that were taken captive. Nobody was lost in that either, all right, and... Um, in this, in verse 17, the king of Sodom, he goes to talk with Abraham, obviously to thank him and all this and thinking, you know, you just you, you keep everything and all this for yourself and that. And basically at the end, you know, Abraham says, nope, I'm not taking anything that's yours. I don't want you to be able to say you made Abraham rich. All right. But in, in, in this as well, then there's another character. And I don't say that in a bad way that meets Abraham as he's returning from the slaughter of these kings. It's interesting, the word slaughter, and literally the idea is, I mean, he just, he demolished them. He literally took care of business, all right? And um, it says, this, this one is described in verse 18, "...and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine." And he was the priest of the Most High God. I mean, this is, a, this is a, uh, an interesting scenario here because never before this is this one mentioned and never again for centuries. We'll, we'll see the one other thing in the Old Testament that mentions him, but never mentioned, right? So king of Salem, and he's priest of the Most High God. That second phrase particularly intrigues me because... You think about this, from Genesis 12 on, who is the focus of the Bible, of the Scriptures? God and Abraham, all right? I mean, Abraham singled out God and Abraham. So I'm thinking, okay, who is this Melchizedek, and how in the world, if he's such this great figure and he's the priest of the Most High God, wouldn't you think he's mentioned uh, along with Abraham, and Abraham would have a kind of a continual interaction with this this person and so on? Anyway, that's just kind of the way I think about it anyway. But, I mean, because it's just like Abraham's the man of God in, in the focus of this historical account, and all of a sudden then there's this other person talked about, and he's the priest of the Most High God. All right? I mean, you, you, you follow me here, all right? So, um, and this one, this Melchizedek, he comes out with bread and wine, obviously offering refreshment to Abraham and those that were with him for, because of what they had just done. They had, I mean, this was a great physical exertion, obviously, and so he's, he's offering them some refreshment and getting them uh, rest, if you want to say, all right? And then... In verse 19, it says, and he, that's Melchizedek, blessed him, that's Abraham, right? And this is what Hebrews picks back up on as we'll get back there in a moment. He, Melchizedek, blessed Abraham and said, blessed be Abram of the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. So he pronounces God's blessings Upon Abraham. Now, in a way, that's not unusual if you think about it, because he was just described as the priest of the Most High God. Um, Would somebody, Andy, you didn't get to read there, would you read Numbers chapter 6? In fact, there's several verses. If you just read, I think it's verse 22 to the end of the chapter. about four or five verses there. Just Numbers chapter 6, 22 to whatever it is. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying... Speak unto Aaron and unto his sons, saying, On this wise you shall bless the children of Israel. Saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Okay, now you might think, What in the world to have him read that for? Okay, that's just a. A little thing, and that that passage has always intrigued me right there. But that's a that's a passage where God tells Moses that the priests Aaron and his sons, part of what he wants them to do is to bless the people. Pronounce blessings upon them. Now, obviously, they need to be in a position to where they're able to be blessed of God. But but the point is one thing that they were to do was to pronounce a blessing from God on the people. And obviously there was something to that. It wasn't just mere words, okay? But what did Melchizedek do to Abraham here? It doesn't tell us what words were said or whatever in this, but the same idea here, right? Melchizedek, being the priest of the Most High God, pronounces a blessing upon Abram here. And, you know, we have the words that are said here, the blessed be Abraham of the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. And then he, he also praises God in this as well. Blessed be the most high God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand, talking to Abraham. And then then Abraham gives Melchizedek tithes of all. Now, the idea here is, and it's a different word gave here, well, as it's recorded in Hebrews, versus the others. Here, the literally, the idea is Abraham, he divided everything up into portions, and he then presented this portion, which was a tenth, a tithe, to Melchizedek. All right? And uh, it seems that Abraham didn't take anything for himself because of what he told the king of Sodom, right? He gave the other guys... Their portions, because they earned it, but then everything else he gave back, apparently, that was to the, the king of Sodom. He gave everything back to him. He didn't keep anything, but he gives Melchizedek tithes here, which, again, is an interesting concept. Um, because the only other mention before the law that you really see of tithing is Jacob vows, Jacob, which would be Abraham's grandson, vows to give God tithes of everything if God would bless him. That's when Jacob is at Bethel, I believe, and he's sleeping and has a vision and so on there as he's on his way running to his uncle Laban, all right, because he's afraid of Esau, his brother. But, um, so you see him returning to the king of Sodom and so on here that Abraham gives tithes to Melchizedek and, and Verse 22, And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up my hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from thee a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is lying, lest thou shouldst say I have made Abram rich, save only that which the young men have eaten. Portion of the men which are with me, Aner, Eshcol, Mamre, let them take their portion. All right. So again, he just he divides everything up, and he doesn't take anything himself. He he gives the other people their stuff, and but he gives he makes sure that Melchizedek receives a tenth of everything of all the spoil, booty, whatever, for uh, a tithe. Again, this is just interesting when you think about this. Why would Abraham do this? All right. Why would he do that? All right. And, And that's all we have of it. That's it. That is the historical record of it right there. That's it. Until Psalm 110. Psalm 110, we, sometime last year, we had looked at this psalm when we were looking at different psalms and you know Messianic prophecies and so on. But Psalm 110, I think there's seven verses. So, um, since Andy read, if you'd start there. And the Lord said unto my Lord... Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion, and rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the, uh, in the beauties of holiness from the moon of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord has sworn and will not repent, and thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord thy right hand shall strike through the kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the head over many countries. He shall drink of the broken of the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. All right, this psalm, and and you see there in verse four again the reference to Melchizedek. All right. This is the only other, until we get to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, these are the only two places in the Bible that mention Melchizedek, all right? And here, the context is what? Well, this is obviously a Messianic psalm. starts out, it, it's a psalm of David. So David's the human writer here, and we know that not just from the heading here, but it's referenced in the New Testament on more than one occasion. In fact, this is probably referenced more than any other passage in the Old Testament. Psalm 110, but it's always referred to in the New Testament as a reference to Christ, all right, to the, to the Lord Jesus. It's a messianic psalm. The Lord, that's Jehovah, said unto my Lord, David's saying this, my Lord, sit thou at that right hand, at, my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Obviously, it's, a, it's, it's prophetic of what the Lord Jesus is going to have, His messianic kingdom here on this earth, okay? And in the, in the midst of the Father, God the Father talking to God the Son, He says, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Hebrews references this as the fact that God the Father made an oath to God the Son, that he would be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. All right, similar to Melchizedek after that. All right, so these are the only two references we have till we get to the book of Hebrews in this. And we began this little part by asking, who is this one? Who is Melchizedek? Well, what does his... I mean, we, we, we saw the historical references here. We see his, him being introduced here in the book of Hebrews. We see in Hebrews 1 he's called... Uh, King of Salem, the priest of the Most High God. That's exactly how he's referred to when he's introduced in Genesis chapter uh, 14, right? And so, uh, and then refers back to him meeting Abraham here and and so on. It says in verse 2, Abraham gave him a tithe, uh, a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation. Now, the idea is here, Melchizedek, he's the one referred to as first being, by interpretation, king of righteousness. So if you want to know what the name Melchizedek means, which can be important to trying to figure out who he is, right, Uh, what's his name mean? Well, according to verse 2, it says, by interpretation, his name is king of what? King of righteousness. Again, that's, that's kind of telling to me, He's also referred to as king of Salem, which is king of peace, all right, because the word Salem, peace, all right. Um, now, interestingly enough, in fact, do this. Debbie, you were the last one. Would you go to John chapter 1, and I want you to read two short verses Or John chapter 1, verse 38, because I just want you to get the, the gist, this phrase, by interpretation, and then that what it what it means. Okay, it's used four times, I think it is. One, two, three, four times in the New Testament, and this is the idea of what it means. All right. 138 and then verse 42. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and said unto them, What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted Master, where dwellest thou? Verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. All right, so two times there, and we won't read the other two, just the the exact same thing. Uh, Actually, they're both in Hebrews, but, or no, there's one more in John and then Hebrews uh, 7 2. But, um, It says, uh, the last one there, verse 42, Cephas, which by interpretation is a stone. So the idea of that phrase, it's telling you what it means, okay? So here, the writer of Hebrews is saying that the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, all right? Um, And if you go back and look at the Old Testament word, the Hebrew word, all right, Melchizedek, there definitely is a connection of that idea there, okay? But the point being, who is this? Well, his name means king of righteousness, all right? So that's that's kind of important, all right? But he's also referred to as king of Salem, king of peace, all right? And then notice also verse 3, his priesthood is an ongoing and continual one. There's a clear statement of that In verse 3, in fact, in verse 3, describing Melchizedek, he is also described with these statements here, verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 7, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God. All right, and then the final statement abideth a priest. He abides a priest continually. He's continuing to be a priest. He never stopped being a priest is the idea. All right, so here's the, here's the point. Time's going faster than I uh, had hoped this morning on this, but who is Melchizedek? Well, there's one of two answers possible, all right? One is he was a man, um, and by that I mean a mere human being, all right, who just happened to to be living at the time of Abraham, and uh, had this encounter with Abraham, and he's only used by the writer of Hebrews, but he's also referenced in Psalm 110, keep that in mind, which really has nothing to do with this, it seems, uh, unless the second thing's true, Um, but he's just a mere man who happened to be a historical figure there, had this encounter with Abraham, and he pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a type of Christ. And there's many people that that think that's the answer, right, that he was a historical figure. In fact, many good people believe, believe that's the answer. All right, now, and if that's the case, again, who is he? He's obviously something important when you read the book of Hebrews, but yet in the Old Testament account, it's just and just this little blurb, and that's it. There's you know not much else said about him or anything else said about him. Um, but uh, if that's the case, there's usually about four possibilities of, of answers there for that. Can't turn my pages. And let me just let me just give these to you real quick. All right, um, many believe that he was a man who was the ancient king of Jerusalem okay, Uh, because he's referred to as King of Salem, which is kind of, uh, 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 it's obviously seeming to be, it could be seeming to be talk about the city of Jerusalem. In fact, there are uh, Bible encyclopedias and dictionaries that tie his name with two names that come up, one in the book of Joshua, one in the book of uh, uh, Judges. Adonai Zedek is one, and Adonai Bezek, another, and both of those guys were kings of cities, okay, uh, and and so on, and they, because there's part of the name is similar to Melchizedek's name, they tie in with that, and so on. Um, in fact, uh, Matthew Henry, in his commentary, he quotes, this isn't his position, by the way, but he quotes this guy he calls Mr. Gregory of Oxford, and he said, he tells us that the Arabic Cantina, which he builds much upon of the authority of, gives this account of Melchizedek, that he was the son of Heraculum, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, and that his mother's name was Selathiel, the daughter of Gomer, the son of Japheth, the son of Noah. Anyway, so however he gets that, I don't know, but anyway. Um, another, another theory is that Melchizedek is the, ma- the actual man Shem, Noah's son, Shem. In fact, that's what the Talmud, the Jewish rabbis, they've promoted that idea down through the centuries, that this is actually Shem, and he's just referred to in this way. Now, keep in mind, at that point in history, apparently it wasn't uncommon that, like the firstborn son of a family, he would act as a priest on behalf of the family, and and so on, offer sacrifices and so on. Remember in the book of Job, Job offered sacrifices to God on behalf of his children, right, and prayed for them, interceded for them. So kind of the work work of a priest. That was typical in that. And when I first read that, I thought, there's no way. Shem would have had to have been dead years before Abraham was around. And I started doing, went to Genesis 10 with the genealogy there, started doing some records. And according to my quick math, now I'm I'm putting it that way because you really need to take some time in doing those and make sure... Because the way things are worded. But anyway, according to my calculations, actually Shem outlived Abraham by four years. That he lived longer. I mean, he was he Abraham actually lived and died before Shem was dead. That astounded me when I thought of that or realized that. Like, whoa, okay, that, that is a possibility, you know. But yeah, anyway, some believe that, again, he was just a man that we know nothing about. Not Shem, not tied in with these Canaanitish kings, whatever, just a man we know nothing about, but he happens to be alluded to in the New Testament as a type of Christ, okay? Uh, Obviously, he has something to do with Christ because of the book of Hebrews, but then some believe that he actually is Christ. This is an Old Testament appearance, pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus. He appeared to Abraham here. It's called a theophany, or when it's Christ, a Christophany, all right? Uh, and by the way, I tend to have this idea, I believe this is probably the case, okay, because of what's said about him. Now, because the phrase in, in um, the description in verse 3 of chapter 7, that, that Melchizedek is without father, without mother, without descent, if that's to be taken literally, there's no other one that this could describe, if that's taken literally. Now, again, people that don't agree with that, that think this is really a, uh, a historical man that lived at some point in time, they would say this is just referring to the fact that we don't have record of his father or his mother or his descendants in the Old Testament. Perhaps that's the case. I, I, I have respect for some people that have that opinion, okay? But, I'm you know, again. But I think that the evidence that we have is that this is definitely the Lord Jesus Christ, appearing to Abraham. Now, this is before he became a man, all right, in his incarnation. He appeared in a physical form to Abraham. If that's the case, this isn't the only time that that happened. We see it again in Genesis 18 and 19 when, remember, three visitors came and visited Abraham, and Abraham clearly refers to one of them as the Lord. All right, Um, and then two of them, Angels, apparently, went on to Sodom and uh, eventually had to rescue Lot, you know, from Sodom and so on, but because they were going, they were there to destroy Sodom, and Abraham stayed and interceded with the Lord about, uh, in fact, I think you had reference to that, you know, and he started with 50, got get down to 10 people, if only 10 righteous people were found there, you know, and the Lord said, I'll spare the city for 10 people. Sad, there wasn't even 10 people that were there to uh, spare the city for, but again, the bottom line is who is this Melchizedek? Well, again, different people have different ideas. I, I personally believe it's this was the Lord Jesus in an Old Testament pre-Bethlehem appearance to Abraham. If, and again, there's there's probably a lot of things that uh, you could offer evidence pro and for, uh, pro and against, but. Um, bottom line is, okay, to me, I think that in Hebrews, that, it, it, that's the case. In Hebrews, the, the writer of Hebrews, whether it's Paul or whoever, is referring to this because the point being Melchizedek's priesthood is superior to Aaron's priesthood. Well, and why? He starts with the fact that Christ's priesthood is after the order of Melchizedek. Who was Melchizedek? Well, we don't know a whole lot about him in the Old Testament, but he's described as being the priest of the Most High God. Hebrews says his priesthood is unchanged. It's never changed. It's never stopped. And we could then ask the question, when did it start? If you take it literally again that it's unchanged, that means he's always been the priest of the Most High God. Again, I mean, so... If that's where it starts, you think about that, wow, that's, that's a, a much better starting place than Aaron had to start as a priest. Okay? So you have this. So And, and consider then, he goes on, let me, let's talk about the next section real quick. In, uh, in just a few minutes, Melchizedek, the second main reason, now I can change a thing here finally, the priesthood, the, in other words, Melchizedek's priesthood, which Christ is after the order of received tithes from Abraham, verses four through ten in Hebrews chapter seven. That's that's the main idea here in these verses. It's it's mentioned in uh, verse two. All right, to whom Abraham gave a tenth part of all. Then he, he again, but he's he's talking about um, uh, Melchizedek there more in the sense of that his priesthood is he's always been a priest. Right, verse 4, now consider how great this man, Melchizedek, was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily, they that are of the sons of Levi, Levi is used here instead of Aaron, but obviously Aaron was of the tribe of Levi. The whole tribe of Levi in Moses' day was set apart for God's service. They weren't all priests, but they were all set apart for the service of the tabernacle, you remember? Remember that, all right? Um, So he's saying, consider how great this one is, whom Abraham gave tithes to, all right? Uh, And verily they that are the sons of Levi who receive uh, the office of the priesthood have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. In other words, the Levites receive tithes. The priests had a portion of, All right, because the the priests, the group of priests were smaller than the group of Levites. So the Levites received tithes from all the people. Then you could kind of think of it this way the priests received tithes from the Levites. All right, and then, because again, the, the size factor there. All right, but he's saying they received tithes and God ordained that, God made that part of the law. All right. Number one, that Aaron was a priest, his his descendants would be a priest, and that they received tithes. Now, verse 6, but he whose descent is not counted from them, not from the Levitical priest, that guy received, received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. He's not a descendant of Levi. In fact, he predates Levi is the point. All right? And he's saying that Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. And therefore, if you keep reading, I'm just going to summarize this. You keep reading, he's saying Aaron and the priests of the law of time, they paid tithes to Melchizedek because they were in Abraham when that happened. All right. Similar principle. It's a scriptural principle that when Adam sinned in the garden, we were all there sinning because we were in Adam. All right. And so um, but they all gave tithes. To Melchizedek because they were in Abraham when he gave those tithes, all right? And here, and then notice again, and without contradiction, verse 7, the less is blessed of the better, all right? So who was it that did the blessing? It was Melchizedek, not Abraham. So he's saying Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. Wow, that's a thought for Jews to think of, right? Who would they think is greater than Abraham? Well, Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, according to the writer of Hebrews, all right? And uh, and he, he says, uh, without contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here, men that die receive tithes, but he, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witness that he liveth. Again, referring to Melchizedek, he's described as living still. And again, I think it's more than just you know saying, well, we don't have a record of his death. Because the emphasis is that he has a continual, unchanging priesthood because he's still alive. He never lost his priesthood, like Aaron did. He had to pass it on to his son Eliezer when he died. All right, um, but Melchizedek never did because he never died. All right, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Speaking of Levi and Aaron and so on, there. All right, and we'll stop there. But you see two two points and and we we spent some time digressing into this matter of melchizedek because it's made such a big deal of here in the book of hebrews but this is the only place in the bible it's made a big deal of but it obviously is an important point all right that christ his priesthood is superior to aaron and the priesthood involved with the old testament law because he's greater than aaron all right his, and he gives reasons why he's greater, right? First of all, because he's an un, it's an unchanging priesthood. There's never been a change to his priesthood. We'll see clearly in the next section, verse 12, that Aaron's priesthood has changed. And again, today they have no record of who a priest is. They haven't for, de- for centuries. But the priesthood, Melchizedek's priesthood received tithes from the Levitical priesthood. Because Abraham, the father of the Levites, and others gave tithes to Melchizedek. And so again, he's building a case here for the superiority of the priesthood of Christ because it's after the order, the manner of, the fashion of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek's priesthood is superior to the Levitical priesthood is what he's stating. All right? We'll just have to stop there. But Christ is greater is his point. Thank you, Lord, for the Lord Jesus. Help us to appreciate him as we should. In Jesus' name, amen.